there's an owl on my fence and I've been trying to call RSPB to try and sort him out. Can I just show you what he looks like? He's oh, so please, gorgeous. Please. Are you into birds or is it just the book? Oh my God, now I am. Uh, I can see him. So he's um or she is um an eagle owl. So literally the whole day I've been like, what am I gonna do? Will he be all right and all that stuff? Oh so I've been I'm so sorry for being a few minutes late. I was on Facebook and I found a group and apparently he's been sighted in my area. So I literally just sent them a message saying he's here, like hurry up and come because I don't know oh, how long he's staying. You have no idea how happy that makes my heart. That's so nice. <laughs> I just thought that's so weird. I'm literally going to speak to you about your book. So um, I'm just going to jump into it, if you don't mind. Also, because I'm worried about Owen. I've called him Owen now. You've given him a name. <laughs> oh, I love this so much. I adore you. Okay, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to send you the picture. I've been snapping him all day, if you want. Like, I'm, I'm in love oh, with him. Please. Please DM me the pictures of Owen, please. Okay, I will. Hello and welcome to another episode of Acadi Magazine's Connecting Communities podcast, edited and produced by Camo. My name is Abna Sewa, the editor of Acadi Magazine, and you were just listening to myself and author Elvin James Mensah. We're talking about a runaway eagle owl that landed in my garden just before I was due to interview Elvin. The Owl is significant because Elvin's debut book, Small Joys, features a keen bird watcher called Muddy and his soon-to-be best friend, Harles. This is a story of a friendship bond that blossoms between two unlikely friends. Harles is a British Ghanaian queer man who has a lot on his plate. He's dropped out of university He has a fraught relationship with his father and his battling depression. Muddy is a Mancunian and moves into a shared house with his friend Chelsea and Halls, his new housemate. He's easygoing, loves indie music and is a keen twitcher, a birdwatcher. In part one of this interview that follows, Elvin tells us what inspired Small Joys how the book tackles mental health issues and how it explores parental acceptance. This interview was recorded at the end of 2023. So yeah, tell us a bit more about you. Okay, so uh, my name is Elvin James Mensah. What's your Ghanaian name? Oh, could you? I yeah. am a queer British Ghanaian author from South East London. And apart from um, writing, like music is my other <laughs> really like huge um, thing. Because before I wanted to be a writer, I really, really wanted to be a music journalist. It was so huge for me. And um, so like I kind of like during secondary school, I kind of like trying to set the motions of trying to like be there and like work for like a big like music magazine. Obviously it didn't work out and I've had another passion. But um, yeah, so now that I, that didn't happen, every time I write something, I try to like kind of shoehorn music as much in there as I possibly can. Thank you for that. Tell us about your book. Okay, so um, Small Joys is about a young queer black guy. When we first meet him, he is very down on his luck. He's in a very, very dark place. And um, we meet him in the woods by his flat. He's just dropped out of uni and um, he kind of views himself as sort of a a, a failure. Like he's tried to accomplish something and it hasn't um, worked out. And it's gotten so bad that he's contemplating taking his own life. But um, that's when um, he comes across uh, Muddy, who just happens to be his new flatmate. 
and who kind of like takes him under his wing and kind of like shows him that um kind of shows him that life is worth living because um I think when you're in that space um if you're um depressed if you're in a dark space there's always the idea that it's always like the the huge things that you need to live for or you can accomplish this big thing you can um like you need to do this massive thing to make life worth living And the whole idea of Muddy was like um like the tiny things that kind of bring him the most joy. So like bird watching, it's 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 not it's not like an, an extravagant activity. It's just it's just it's just a little thing, and that and it's things like that that seems to um drive him. So the book basically follows Harley's journey towards finding. Fantastic, thank you for that. And immediately when I started reading the book, I was drawn in because of you know what Harley Harley is planning on doing. Um, so I think immediately you're gripped. And what I liked about your book was this contrast continuously throughout the book you have between the two central figures. You know, they're quite different and yeah. they don't have it doesn't seem like they have similar passions, but they find a way to appreciate each other's loves. So I wanted to know what inspired you to write this particular book. Okay, so to get to that, let me take like a good 10 years back. <laughs> so um, <laughs> when, um, so when I first said I wanted to um I wanted to try and get a book published I always wanted the story to be um uh, personal but I think when you're trying to get a book published there's always like some this line you have to balance where like you want to tell a story that means a lot to you but you also have to tell a story that's going to sell to a publisher mm. <laughs> and you have to like you know you also have to like read the market and see what's actually selling what people will actually want to buy so I'm talking around 2012 time. So this is like before, you know, um, Caleb Azuma Nelson, um, Paul Mendes, um, where like stories I could personally identify with. So back then I was thinking, okay, so what's popular now? What's popular now is dystopian YA sci-fi. Mm. And even though that wasn't my thing, I thought, okay, so may maybe I can't tell as personal stories I'd like. So maybe I, I can do this story <laughs> where and, and, and maybe like try and get <laughs> into In, in industry that way so I wrote a 160,000 word sci-fi novel wow I don't read I don't read sci-fi like at all but um but I managed to get an agent with it mm. but we couldn't sell it to a publisher so what my agent liked about it was the fact that um I think she just liked the writing because I think in anything I write there's going, always going to be some sort of like emotional aspect of it but that was mm. only like a small portion of the book the rest of it was just sci-fi but she liked that small portion And she thought she could help me like mold it so we can send this sci-fi novel out. Mm. But as the feedback was coming back from the publishers, it was all, we're not quite feeling it. Like it's not quite what we want. And I was like, but I tried to give you what you want. <laughs> <laughs> as the feedback was coming back, I was like, I kind of, I, I agree. Like my heart wasn't in it. I thought if I could write this novel and send it to this publisher, then maybe I could get it published. And it just didn't work. And um, when that happened, it, that kind of coincided with um me falling into my own sort of dark place and that had a lot to do with you know that's around the same time I, ca I came out to my mum and it didn't go out as well as I wanted it to and um like life felt so heavy at that point at the time um I don't know why it didn't cross my mind at the time but things like you know therapy and seeking out help for you know just to make myself better weren't things I was like willing to do for myself and I, I knew I needed help and I just I didn't know what to do and writing just felt like then just a natural way to get things out it's funny because when I talk about it now I'm like it's about a person's journey towards finding happiness mm. but like the first draft wasn't that at all it was just me getting every kind of negative feeling and negative emotion like um I had out 
so the story starts now the finished draft starts with harley like contemplating taking his own life and the, but the first draft kind of like ended with that actually happening and when i sent it to my agent she was like okay you can write about feeling depressed and all this ducks and all this like dark stuff but when a reader reads this picks it up they're gonna want some sort of light at the end of the tunnel mm. it can't just be darkness throughout the whole thing so in that first draft, like muddy didn't even exist it was just it was just harley being very depressed <laughs> and sad throughout throughout the whole beginning to end so and when she said that I was like okay yeah you're right then that kind of related to me like I'm I'm looking for some sort of like way out too like like I'm trying to make myself happier so that's when like I thought so what do I need in my life well I'd like to have someone in my life who cares about my best interests and only kind of like prioritizes my happiness and like you know cares about me as much as Muddy cares about Harley so that's why I started like like forming um Muddy Mm-hmm. And um, it got to a point where um, people would like ask me if I was like, you know, if I was seeing anyone. And I was so like in- into writing this that I like I'd pretend that <laughs> it was my boyfriend. And, oh. it, and, and, it, and it was so and it was so difficult like, not to say, oh, I'm seeing a fictional character. But it was that it was that it was that deep for me. And like I like I just I loved him so much. It made writing it so much easier to like, imagine as this like really real person because it did feel so real to me. And I and I just fell in love with him as I was writing and. That it kind of like helped. I should say that like, I am in therapy now because because <laughs> I did think um I could write my way out of it and that just doesn't work. But um yeah, it, it did help. Yeah, I mean you if I if I go back to where you talked about writing and and I don't know if that felt cathartic and you talking about maybe if you're able to get it out, you might not need therapy, but you've said yeah. you still do. I mean, personally, I, I know that feeling of feeling like if I get the words down on paper it helps to make me feel better when I had some crises and one of the things that I appreciated about writing was it was stable like it didn't it didn't leave me it was always there and I wonder if that's how you felt with writing this oh my god for sure like um um, because it it, it's just it did feel extremely cathartic like um I know if, if maybe it's like a cheesy thing to say but it felt like very like it was almost like an, a release because like before I started writing it, like I wasn't like saying anything to anyone. Um, I did try because um, before I started writing it, um, um, I had a friend who um, I thought I could talk about this stuff, this stuff with. And it made me realize that, um, you know, there were like, there are some friendships where um, they're fine if you're not going through anything. If there's nothing mm-hmm. um, heavy to discuss, their friendship's fine. But when you start talking about suicide and when you start talking about depression and all that kind of stuff, it made me realize how like fragile that friendship friendship was yeah. and it kind of collapsed and that kind of contributed to like the whole um you know just feeling so worthless after that happened like writing the book became really necessary and like you were saying it felt so like stable like you know if I can't tell a friend that I'm feeling this way but now I'm writing it if the writing doesn't go anywhere like it's like it feels like I'm listening to myself it's listening to me like it felt like you said it felt so stable and that was really cathartic that really resonated with me and secondly I felt the love, like reading Small Joys and Muddy, like I wanted that friend too. I wanted uh-huh. that. And I, I wanted you two to get together. And I loved the way you played with us because I kept thinking, are they? Are they not? Oh, my God. So, so I have more stuff to tell you. OK, let's go. <laughs> because because now it's like a book about friendship. But mm. um, uh, when, when we get into that to the later stages, I initially wrote it as a romance because at the time I didn't think um, selling it because I, I was in my mind about how publishers are going to like, you know, are they going to say, oh, we can't fit into this category, we can't fit into that category. But um, initially, I thought if we, it would be easier maybe to sell it as a romance, because it just made sense. When you have two mm. characters, 
um, and they're getting close together, obviously you're just gonna um, you, you're gonna want them to be together, and that's what they're, mm. they're gonna expect. But they surprised me, and then they, they said it feels like a story about friendship. So mm. there was a third act where you know you know in romances there's like the third act where, where they fight and then they get to, <laughs> they get together, and that's mm. what I did um, with Moira. So there, there is a draft where Harley and Muddy are in a <laughs> in a relationship. But they made me take it out and then like replace that the third act fight and the romance with just um them ending on the friendship. And at, at the beginning, because I, I can be a bit arrogant and think I'm always right, but now I understand what it was. I think it was a good decision. I like the fact that it's about friendship because it it, it kind of says that you know friendships are just as valid as romantic relationships. And and I love talking about that. And I love that's kind of what the book stands for. But there was a version where they were in yeah. the relationship together. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think I agree. I like the fact that it, it this is the final version because it's common, you know, those stories where you have the, will they get together, won't they? And then they do. We we know those stories, but I like this because you honestly kept me on my toes. I just kept thinking what is going to happen. Like there's so many tender moments in the book and then I'm thinking, yep, definitely. But I think <laughs> what you did was really powerful because as you know, I, I mentioned to you offline about what's happening in Ghana and people's views oh, yeah. about LGBTQI plus communities. And yeah. I do think that what you've shown is that you can be anything and have a relationship with somebody and it doesn't therefore fit you into a gender role because throughout your book, you're sort of challenging those roles, I felt, with the other characters. Oh, yeah. Um, so because one of the things that um, has kind of I was going to say plagued me but I don't want to be too negative about it my dad was very strict <laughs> he was mm. um, he had very like you know specific ideas of what you know a man should be or specifically what a black man should be mm. and um, like Harley it's like he's lived so much of his life trying to like live up to that and mm. there's so many like I guess in his life like checkpoints that if he doesn't meet the specific thing it makes him a failure but specifically in with Harley because with, with his dad because he's gay it doesn't really matter what he does like mm. it, it doesn't matter what, what he achieves like because of that he's just never gonna he's yeah. never gonna satisfy his dad like it's like the yeah. relationship is doomed from doing from the start yet yeah. if there's like Harley's always like he's always trying like he's like he's always hoping yeah. like there's an like earlier scene where he thinks his dad must like reconcile and then he goes he goes over to the house and then you know what happens happens but he always he's always holding out that hope so like even that things like because in African families especially like going to uni is always a huge thing it's always yeah. like such a uh, it's yeah. such a high thing to thing to achieve and when he doesn't achieve that because he's based so much of his self-worth on achieving it it kind of like collapses with Harley just the idea of just like being a man in general even like simple things like like you know when he there's a flashback where he like he like dances in church yet his dad doesn't like it like that even though church is the place where everybody dances his dad looks at he just looks at me and be like what are you what are you doing like even yeah. things like that if he finds it difficult to like you know be a man where like the the benchmark is so weird I guess like it's like you have to be so strong and you can't cry but with Harley his personality is very sensitive so if he's a man and he's sensitive and he's crying what does that mean for him like it's yeah it's it's really tough and um, even with on like um like Muddy and like Finley's um side um with like Muddy because the like before Harley the people he hangs around with like you know the typical laddish like rug rugby play, playing guys and um but with but Muddy's such a you know he's uh, he's such a sensitive soul 
and I think what differentiates him is like with Muddy sort of doesn't care that um, he doesn't care that when people like you know people make fun of him for liking birds or people make um, fun of him for just being so you know uh, just like chilled and he's not as intense as Finley is like mm. and I guess like or like you know stereotypically like masculine <laughs> and like when mud like paints his nails um for instance like he's just like he's just um he doesn't care and like harley's worried that aren't you aren't you scared <laughs> that the people mm. hang around like, will you and he's like no but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter to me i like it so it's fine so it was, it was really fun to like play with um masculinity in that way yeah and i i loved it because just exactly what you said you you kind of opened our eyes or or maybe other people who who have not really challenged or questioned it because you saw that you can still exist you can still be male uh it doesn't mean that you have to be this butch like rugby player in that way but you can you can still play rugby and they all did didn't they I mean at one point even you know Harley has a go (laughs) and stuff like that But but I felt like you also did that with the ladies, the women in the in the um book as well. So um I did feel like um Harley was seen as their not baby, but you know, really protective over him. And I think at one point he sort of maybe not challenges it, that's too strong, but he kind of doesn't want to necessarily be in that role of being this figure of I'm not saying he was pitied, but you know, this I've oh, got yeah. to watch I'm over you all the time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because um, I, mean, I think there's a scene um, where he's starting like to tell people about what he's going through, like towards towards the end, and um, they're all like looking like really, really sad eyes. I think uh, specifically the scene where he just he just wants to go to the toilet, and um, and then like and when and when he says that every, the whole table like Chelsea and you know, like kind of like look at him and, and and they're like and he's thinking, are they thinking, can I like go on my own? Like, am I so yeah. weak that I can't even handle going to the to the toilet on on my own? And they're like all like really hyper protective of him, and obviously it's just because um because they just love him. So like the the di- dynamic like, I think I was trying to have when I decided the story was going to be about friendship was like um almost like surrogate parents almost. So yeah. you have you have Muddy and Finley yeah. as the and Chelsea and Nori as the mum and the mums, and it was so it was so interesting to me because like um with how sometimes I feel like especially in my life it's like um the family you choose can be almost as like just as valid and and uh, as powerful as you know um you know biological family and, and things like that and because in my life that's kind of what my situation is like I have, I have friends who are like genuinely genuinely like family and I wanted Harley to have that too and um it was so like just like being in his head it just felt so nice to to be like so like so his mom's passed away and his dad practically hates him but to compensate for that I have these people who are just willing, willing to like showering with so much love even though they don't have any obligation to yeah and they don't have to be there but but they're there they and I just absolutely loved writing it one of the things I wished I did more of was I wish there was more scenes with Chelsea and not and Chelsea and Nori I wish that there was there was more of that um mm. because because the book focuses so much on like Harley and Muddy and because there were drafts where there's more of them in but to like to streamline it, it was like they wanted us to just focus on the central relationship, which was Muddy and um, Harley. But the thing is, I loved writing Noria so much. It's specifically because it is a uniquely like black relationship. Like yeah. they sit there and watch girlfriends together and talk about R and B music, and that's what um, that's what um, um, that's what I love. And um, yeah, so that relationship was so fun to write. And I wish I'd written more. <laughs> I mean, if you could have, I mean, I don't know what would you have included more of, or or how would you have developed that relationship and shown us in another draft of that book? 
I think it was specifically with um uh Muddy and Muddy, um Harley and um and Noria, I would have had more scenes with Harley, Noria, and her dad, just because with um Noria's dad, I oh god, I loved writing him so much. Just He's so like, nice. um, especially like to contrast um Harley and how his dad treats him, like, yeah. and um it's just because like uh, Noria, she's so like <laughs> she's the the stuff she says um like. Um, in a Nigerian household it just wouldn't fly but regardless of that her dad like loves her so much yeah. like, I think um, I haven't read it in a while I've, I'm trying to recall everything I wrote so <laughs> there was um, there's this uh, there's a scene where um, it's, I think it's a flashback and the scene is Nori is in church and the collection bowl is going around and she puts her phone number <laughs> in the collection bowl because she wants she wants to give it to the hot guy somewhere in the church and the, and, and it's just like stuff like that and like her and her dad loves her anyway and yet yeah. harley like tries so hard to be to be good but because he's gay it's just it's just not gonna work and i just love that contrast and i just and i just love those scenes with um noria and her dad it just it made me so happy and i would have had more scenes where they discussed music even more just like just as those casual scenes where they're just like talking about specifically like black things like at the beginning yeah. where she's doing, uh, where she's um, doing his hair and yeah. she's like like D'Angelo it's just I just love those like just like those casual moments I love writing yeah. so much and more of them yeah. I, and I really want to get into the music but before I do I wanted to just address what you said about relationships and maybe typically as a Ghanaian as well British Ghanaian those um, struggles that we may have in terms of what our parents want us to be and what we want to be. And I yeah. did like the fact that, you know, Noria's dad was just like really comfortable with whatever she was. You know, he loved her regardless and he was so respectful to Harley, like the way he addressed him. I just loved that. So I really like that contrast. Again, You, I feel like you work a lot with these contrasts and it was so nice to almost see what some of us have experienced in our life in print and and those challenges and those struggles that we may have to deal with as um, a child of the diaspora you know having these two cultures and straddling them both i really love that in in the book harley doesn't really have to he, he has an environment where he doesn't have to do that he like mm. the idea is he can he can be himself like fully all the time and I think that, that's the ideal so at, at the end I think the, there's a scene where he's like talking to his dad and and he's saying well I know you I know you don't like me and that's fine I can't change you but I have all these people who like love me completely like love mm. me fully I don't have to like you know reshape myself to like to like be loved I can just exist and be loved mm. and that's amazing <laughs> that's amazing I actually felt like your book spoke to all of us I don't feel like it was um, how should I say sort of the story of one queer man speaking black man speaking about that I really resonated with that because I'm not gay but all of those things when are you getting married all of those things are things oh, yeah. that a lot of us have experienced and why don't you become a doctor and why don't you do oh, this God, when you're yes. a creative you know oh, so God. yeah so I, I really felt and that's why I said to you um, on Instagram I felt like could I give this book to my mum or my dad and then and then they get it because I don't think it's necessarily about being gay it's a much wider than that and acceptance and just being loved for who you are 
And I think even if you were African and slightly homophobic, I feel like you you, you could read it and maybe take more from it than just the gay stuff. Because I don't think it's the gayest <laughs> it's the gayest book. It's not really what the what the conversation is kind of centering on. So, like if he gave it to a parent who's really, really religious, I feel like like seeing that from his perspective might kind of um kind of maybe like a broaden the view a bit about trying to change people and trying to make them um, something else. Mm. But um uh, yeah, but yeah, I th- it, it's tricky. Um. Because I, I went, my mum hasn't read it. Um, she's not a big reader in general, but um, I thought like maybe if she did read it, she might un- understand me more. Um, same You've with, got like, the audio um, though, the audio one. She can I, listen to it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she listen, listen to the audio. Yeah, so because uh, I am interested in what she think, think about it. Because I feel like if she did read it, she might understand me more. But I don't think she will. Oh, yeah. that's such a shame because it's such a beautiful book. Thanks for listening to part one of our interview with Elvin James Mensa. In part two, Elvin shares details of his writing process, how the Coronation Street soap inspired one of the characters in the book, and he reveals details of his second novel. Here's a little clip. It's four main characters. It's four black British guys, and I'm trying to have like a Sex in the City vibe with it. So Sex in the City, but with four black British guys. Mm. And it's the mid-2000s. It's just my favourite era, era to be in. Yeah, so that's where I'm at with it. Um, when now, when will that come out? Spring think? 2025. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> so does that mean Harley's in it? I don't know if you want me to tell you. I'm just going to tell you. Thank you for listening to this episode. To listen to more content like this, visit our monthly Academy Magazine Connecting Communities podcast on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, or wherever you listen to your audio. Follow our news on academymagazine.com and academymagazine.co.uk and access exclusive early release content and discounts at ko-fi.com forward slash Akadi Magazine. The music in this episode is called Life No Day Easy by Chechaku and the Super Pong Stars and is a special remix exclusively for Akadi Magazine. Super Pong Stars is a high-octane patchwork of Ghana's indigenous genres including palm wine music, high life, afrobeat and afro-funk. You can find out more about the band on their Instagram, Super Pong Stars. Thank you.